When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to No Small Recaps, the recap show for No Small Roles. This is your chance to get caught up on the most recent goings on in Tillersham. This time, the superfans are taking over. So, pop the kettle on, brew a nice pot of Twain Tide tea, and settle back for a summary of episodes 10 to 15, brought to you by Hannah and Sam. Take it away, Hannah. Episode 10, The Kral Conundrum. After an epic owlbear battle, Gwendolyn and Gaius once again find themselves in the presence of Kral, Refusing his offer to fix the Albert corpse, they confirm that Kral is indeed Kralovin Savelt. As the rest of the party look upon this strange, perhaps once human creature for the first time, they discern he is clearly confused as to which timeline he is in, as he tries to remember which series of events will lead the party to help him get his things back. Kral reveals that Matrim, the gamekeeper, found his underground tower after an earthquake and has stolen a door, some books, a table, some oil and a key. Kral needs the witch in the woods in order to get them back. Juna asks politely if she can read his thoughts, but Kral refuses, saying that if she gets in his head, the party won't help him. All searching for the witch, the party decide to follow the river into the swamp, with Kral aiding them as best he can with his muddled memories. Walking and talking together, they also discover that Kral believes that Rumath Tarabor should be the king, despite the fact there hasn't been a monarch in Drivane for at least six years, and that Rumath's reign was centuries ago. Their journey deeper into the swamp passes without incident, though Enkidu notes that the forest is eerily quiet. After hours of walking, they decide to make camp. On revisiting an old exercise book stuffed to the bottom of her bag, Gwendolyn remembers a useful security method from her training and sets up a perimeter using the alarm spell. Meanwhile, Orin uses his goggles of magical detection to have a look at Kral and sees an aura of necromantic and divination magic suffusing him that seems to have become part of his very being. Following a quick but essential twain-tied tea, Gwen and Juna take the first watch. Deciding not to ask politely this time, Juna reads Kral's thoughts, hearing a mixture of gentle humming, confusion about what to make the party do, and an urgency to push ahead while also knowing he must wait. Juna decides not to delve any deeper to avoid alerting Kral to her presence in his mind. As they sit up together, Juna gives Gwendolyn some hard truths about Dwayne Fabulosa's lack of integrity, and Gwen reveals her self-doubt and worry that she's holding the party back, leading Juna to comfort her as well as pass on her unique version of mindfulness. As Orin and Gaius take the next watch, they discuss Gaius's dream from the night before, as Orin tinkers with a new invention. However, Gaius keeps his cards close to his chest. 
The final watch is taken by Enkidu, who attempts to talk to Kral. Savelt is clearly intrigued by Enkidu, but is reluctant to have a conversation with much depth and moves away. And left by himself, Enkidu tests his evolving arcane skills by summoning a powerful longsword in a swirl of black and red. The next morning, Juna serves up some worms for breakfast, even though the party's rations are well stocked, much to the dismay of the men in the party. Gwen is unperturbed by the unorthodox food and thinks the boys just can't handle their worms. The party set off again, with Kral following rather than leading this time. Wading through the mud, something pulls on Enkidu's ankle and he falls face first into the swamp. Gwen spots a pair of eyes in the mud which quickly multiply, appearing and disappearing. Kral explains their little spirits that are annoying. The party try to hurry away but Juna is pulled under before Enkidu is tripped again. Gaius notices that the eyes seem to be following them and attempts to scare the spirits away with a thunder wave behind the party. Unfortunately, it has the opposite effect, revealing a group of angry mud methods spoiling for a fight. In the ensuing conflict, Gwen punches one so hard it explodes, knocking her into the mud while Orin tortures another and Gaius sends the rest to sleep. They pull a sheepish Gwen out of the mire and beat a hasty retreat. As they push further north, the swamp becomes colder and a mist begins to form. Kral asks the party to kill the witch, but won't reveal why. With the party increasingly unnerved by Kral's evasiveness, Enkidu tries to negotiate with him to get him to give them some insight. With Kral refusing to share his motives, Enkidu calls on his patrons for guidance. Gil appears to Enkidu, warning him not to trust Kral, that he will become more dangerous if they let him carry on, and advises him to get to the witch first. After a discussion, and some inscrutable miming from Enkidu, the party decide to go to the witch without Kral, and the displeased Savelt tells them, I think you're gonna have to die then. The party press on, and as the sun begins to set, they hear ominous whispers trying to ward them off, growing louder and louder. The mud begins to recede, and the remaining water begins to ripple and bubble as a wood elf rises out of the swamp. She draws herself up to her full height and says, You are not wanted here. The party have found the witch. Episode 11, The Witch in the Woods. Undeterred by the sight before her, Juna recognises this terrifying vision for what it truly is, an illusion, and manages to convince the witch to stop playing her games, using the name of Mir and their mother Kez to gain Ruana's trust. No longer feeling a need for pretense, the witch's illusory self drops their menacing performance and invites the party to join her physical form deeper in the woods, if they want, though she doesn't seem particularly fussed either way. Before long, the party enter a wide clearing featuring nine moss-covered stone monoliths, arranged in a circle. On the opposite side of this circle, under a makeshift shelter, sits the true form of the witch, Ruana Witten. Introductions are made before the party press on with the gathering of information, discovering several things. First, it becomes clear that Rowana knows Dr. Hograd well and has been working with her to create the cure for gallows cough, among other ailments, though she has no clue as to the doctor's current whereabouts. Before long, the witch offers up the recipe for the cure, and our heroes agree to find the ingredients first thing in the morning. They also speak at length about Kral and the infection he has brought to the woodland. During the conversation, the group learned that Kral had sealed himself in his sunken tower many years ago and has only been released from his imprisonment by a recent disturbance. The party impress upon the witch that Kral wants to kill her and that the ancient mage appears to need something she possesses. At this, Rowana reveals the purpose of the stone monoliths and her role in protecting the circle from outsiders. The Henge, as she calls it, is a source of raw natural energy. This place here, it's a, it's a wellspring 
for nature. On further inspection through his goggles, Orin sees that the stones hold the power of all the schools of magic interwoven, with roots spreading out into the woodland around them. In further conversation, the witch explains the henge was created by the inhabitants of Orkosh, Gwendolyn's ears pricking up at the name, admitting that she hopes to travel there someday to find her mother. Though the witch casually assures our heroes that she could easily best their combat prowess, she is unsure about her chances if pitted against Crown, which leads Rowana to speak about magic binding itself to the user, much as the natural magic of the Henge has bound to her, theorising the same could be true with Crown. This sparks a light bulb moment for Orin, as he considers the possibility they are dealing with a lich. A twisted path to immortality some powerful wizards take through binding themselves to something called a phylactery. Which, uh, if their body is to be destroyed, their uh, soul can return to that thing. Oh. oh my gosh. And a new body can be made. It's one way of protecting themselves and prolonging their life. It is decided that their next destination must be the tower to find and destroy Kral's phylactery. With this resolve, everyone beds down for a peaceful night's sleep. When they wake, Ruana is already up, staring out into the woods. Sensing Kral's infection nearby, she advises the group to get away quickly. However, as Gaius takes a step out of the stone circle, he spots creatures stood in the tree line. Undead beasts staring at them from all sides of the clearing, waiting patiently. With their paths blocked and sensing a growing fear in Ruana, the group decide to stay and fight, drawing their weapons. Orin activates his new toy, a small mechanized dragon, firing it up to give his friends a much-needed health boost. As they face outwards around the circumference of the Henge, Enkidu spots Kral, who creepily offers them one last chance to escape with their lives. The party hold their ground. Alright, I hope it's not that painful. And I'll bring it back at least, so that's nice. <laughs> As the necromancer turns to leave, the undead beasts surge forward from the tree line. Hundreds of creatures of all kinds slam into an invisible barrier created by the stone monoliths. Waves of them crash into the force field, piling up on top of each other, desperate to reach their prey. Higher and higher, they clamber over one another until undead creatures begin to topple over the top of the barrier and into the clearing. Ruana hurriedly turns to the heroes, giving them a choice. The town or the tower? At their hasty reply, the witch casts her hands towards them as the earth ripples and pulls their bodies down into the dirt. They suddenly feel the sensation of drowning as they swim frantically for the light above them. Breaking the surface, weeping and beaten, they find themselves in unfamiliar surroundings. With only a vague direction to go on, our heroes try to find their way through the woods to find Kral's sunken tower and destroy the phylactery. Before long, Enkidu discovers a trail of cart tracks cutting through the trees. They follow the path away from the direction of town and deeper into the woods, Gwendolyn scouting the way ahead, eventually spotting the remnants of a landslide at the bottom of a steep mound. As she pushes up the incline, she finds a cave-like opening set into the ground with an ancient smell rising from within. Peering in with his devil's sight, Enkidu looks down upon the dark and dusty entrance to Kral's tower. As the episode draws to a close, our dungeon master leaves us with an ominous message. You led Kral to the witch. Thanks for that. Oh. Damn it. Episode 12. The Buried Tower. All the players discuss how to charge dice for luck, disparaged by a mildly exasperated DM. With Bessie the horse tied up a safe distance away, the party gather at the entrance of Kral's Buried Tower, 
They discover that the passageway appears safe to traverse, having been fortified by whoever came to take Kral's belongings. Finding the first room empty, they assume it has been ransacked, with no exit save for a spiral staircase in the corner. Gwendolyn pokes around and detects evidence of a previous scuffle, perhaps between Matrim and Kral, as well as a scrap of paper with something written in Celestial on it, which Enkidu translates. The cost in succeeding appears worse than previously thought. Can feel my mind slipping. I can only turn again to potential futures to find a way to undo this divination sickness. They discuss the divination sickness and make links to Lady Vondell's fainting spells, theorising that perhaps this is what made Kral the way he is, and that he shows what Lady Vondell could become if she continues to look into possible futures. Gaius takes the initiative to start creeping down the spiral staircase, and the party quickly follow, keen to avoid splitting up. Moving quietly down the staircase, they decide to investigate the first floor they come to, finding a long corridor with a door at either end. Enkidu uses his mage hand to open both doors, revealing a table in one room and shelves in another. First examining the room with the shelves, the party discover an empty library, with ransacked bookcases, rotten books, and a space where a doorway once stood. The charged dice come through for Ben, as Orin discovers more handwritten notes in Celestial, which he passes to Enkidu for translation, together deducing that they are scraps from Kral's diary which could hold clues to the location and nature of his phylactery, as well as more information on his divination magic. As they struggle to understand the meaning of the notes, Enkidu takes a moment to contact his patrons, who offer guidance on the order in which they were written. Piecing it together, Enkidu reads, Research is being hampered by my own lack of ability. The damn table holds more innate power than I ever will. There is more that it can do, I am certain. Perhaps, if I were to bind myself to it, could I traverse without having to live out every waking moment? And the next part is, it worked. Even forward to witness my own success was a risky strategy to be sure, but Rumoth has his ritual and I have his favour. The cost in succeeding appears worse than previously thought. Can feel my mind slipping. I can only turn again to potential futures to find a way to undo this divination sickness. They're coming to take it away from me. They know. I'll bury myself before I am betrayed. It must be protected. With more questions about the meaning of the ritual, Kral's purpose, and his relationship to Rumath Tarabor, they continue their investigation in the other room, which they can immediately tell is an alchemical workshop. Orin discovers that Kral has been using the transmutation oil to shrink and store alchemical ingredients, and the party realise it could have been used by Matrim and the Vondells to reduce the items stolen from Kral for easier transport from the tower. Juna pokes a moving patch of oil with her staff. The puddle bubbles up and quickly reveals itself to be a deadly foe, an ochre jelly. In a moment of peril, the party handily dispatch it, mainly by insulting it to death, though Gwendolyn lands some decent punches too. Continuing down the spiral stairs to the bottom floor, the party find a single door which Enkidu once again opens with his mage hand. The room inside reeks of sulphur and death. With a twain-tied tea bag under each of their noses, they enter to find a derelict bedchamber, devoid of much except refuse and rodent bones scattered across the floor. Gaius spots the walls of the circular room are covered in a network of scratched lines and letters, which the party realise are Kral's map of various timelines and linked events. Ever curious, Gaius investigates further and finds a secret alcove containing a plinth with a handprint on it. As Juna and Guy step into the alcove and press the plinth, a wall suddenly appears, sealing them off from the rest of the party as an alarming countdown begins on the opposite wall in front of them. Spooked by the situation, Gaius and Juna press the plinth again and jump back out into the room. 
With no further clues as to the meaning of the plinth, the group decide to try again and brace themselves for potential danger. With the space in the alcove too small for all of them to fit, Gwen and Gaius go first with a little guidance from Juna. After the ominous countdown completes, five mirrors appear on the walls in front of them. Three have been smashed, one has the words DO NOT TRUST scratched into the glass, and the final mirror is full of moving shadows. As they look into this mirror, two white pupils appear in the darkness, staring, followed by an uncomfortable smile. Gwen stares, transfixed by the eyes, until, thoroughly creeped out, they press the plinth once again and rejoin the rest of the party, relaying what they saw. Juna, Enkidu and Orin decide to have a look for themselves. Looking through the goggles, Orin can see each mirror is giving off a faint transmutation aura. Enkidu tries to communicate with the shadow creature in Celestial. It grins, vanishes for a moment, before rocketing face-first directly into the mirror, making it shake. It laughs ominously and runs into the mirror over and over, ignoring all of Enkidu's attempts to make it identify itself. Juna peers into the mirror marked Do Not Trust and sees another room, similar to the one they're in. She then uses Detect Thoughts to push into the shadow creature's mind and learns it hasn't spoken to Savelt in hundreds of years. The last thought she is able to glean is... None of us mages have used this communication tool in quite a while. I wonder if the others are dead as well. There is also something strange and tainted about the creature's thoughts. Returning to Gaius and Gwendolyn, they relay everything they've learned, and Gwen wonders whether the creature is a lich. As the party struggle to piece together all the information they've gathered in the tower, Enkidu rereads the first cryptic diary entry aloud, hoping to gain some insight, triggering Gaius to have a revelation. What if the table is the phylactery? He's bound himself to the table. Oh, my sweet Jerry. An astounded party realised they're going to have to break into the Vondel estate again if they are to have any hope of defeating Kral. Episode 13. Grave Concerns. Confronted with the reality of their situation, the group know they must find and destroy the divination table if they hope to stop Kral. Picking up the cart trail in the woods, they hurry back towards the town of Tillisham and the Vondel estate. The journey takes them the better part of six hours, but the long journey gives them time to start collecting ingredients for the Galluskov cure and to theorize that perhaps the town guards cannot be trusted as they have clearly been giving out fake news. In the last few hours of travel, a fatigued Juna takes a nap nestled in Gaius's arms as they ride Bessie together, before long breaking the tree line on the cemetery side of the shrouded chapel. In the chapel grounds, they encounter Reverend Noeth Ritolan, currently in the process of consecrating a trio of recently emptied graves. It appears that bodies have gone missing, and we soon learn they were the immediate family of Dahlia, housemaid to the Vondells. Following a quick investigation, Enkidu finds dirt tracks that lead away from the gravesite towards the manor house. Spying a pair of ravens, Juna consults them for information, and the birds introduce themselves as and You couldn't pronounce it. <laughs> Try me. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> And this is <laughs> Did I get the pronunciation right? No, 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 no. No, I'm and he's The ravens recall the activity from the previous night. A lone woman dressed all in black stood over the graves and shrank the bodies, clearly using some of her husband's magical oil to transport her dead family. The group surmise she may be acting without the aid of the Vondells. Back on task, the party pushed through heavy rain towards the Vondell estate. As they near the bridge leading to the main gateway, they spot a crowd of townsfolk wielding torches and pitchforks, shouting angrily towards the manor house. Orin and 
and Gwendolyn push through the crowd to speak to Iris, who appears to be leading the mob. The tavern owner informs them of the recent events in town, that Captain Stollen has been discovered to be involved with the brewery theft, reportedly attacking some of the townsfolk and fleeing to hide out with the Bondell family. The cover-up was discovered by Drania Pine after her friend Chorus was attacked in the woods, causing the locals to rise up and lock the remaining officials in the guardhouse. Acting on a suggestion from Enkidu, the party decide to use the mob as a distraction to hop over the wall into the estate grounds, first taking a brief moment to tie Bessie to a tree near the chapel. In full stealth mode, they make their way to the manor house, finding it unlocked, dark and empty. Rushing to the arcane study, they discover the house has been stripped of anything valuable. Gwendolyn entertains the possibility that her betrothed may have left something behind for her and heads to Trim's bedchamber, which overlooks the estate from the second floor. From her vantage point, Gwen spots movement in the trees of the Lockholt Woods, the undead animals making their way to the town. When a sudden dark green burst of magic distracts her, looking to the gamekeeper's lodge, she sees a silhouetted figure standing in the midst of three dead bodies. Hurriedly, Juna sends a message to Iris, warning him of the coming danger from the woods. Horde of undead creatures are about to attack danger. The party race for the gamekeeper's lodge. As they get closer, they spot Dahlia scrambling backwards in terror, pursued by the shuffling corpses of her newly reanimated family. Begrudgingly for some, our heroes jump into the fray, pelting the undead with their projectiles and magic. One drops under the flurry of attacks just as the female zombie reaches Dahlia and begins to pummel her with their rotten hands. A flash of light cracks against his torso, sending the zombie stumbling backwards as Enkidu steps between Dahlia and her undead mother, the eldritch energy still tingling across his fingers. Gwendolyn closes in, dealing several blows, just as Juna's dagger whizzes past her head, sinking into its target's face. Orin rushes forward and using the flung dagger as a conductor, he pumps a bolt of electricity into the reanimated corpse, causing the head to explode. Gaius charges down the remaining zombie, driving his dagger under the chin and up into its brain. Enemies dealt with, they turn their attention to the petrified Dahlia. Through the use of Gaius's magical suggestion, they convince her to show them how to get into the underground bunker. It seems the quickest way in would be to use the magical key she currently has in her possession to access the arcane doorway stolen from Kral's tower, which now opens onto the bunker. Orin takes a second to snatch up the Book of Necromancy used for Dahlia's reanimation ritual and slips it into his bag, rejoining the others as they convince the housekeeper to aid their purpose. No matter what future you may think is disastrous for you, or how hopeless it seems, the only person who gets a say in what that future is is you. And now you have the opportunity to take that power into your own hands. Now is your time to, to grasp that chance. Come with us and let's put this all to rest. Gaius takes the magical key and slides it into the lock of the front door of the gamekeeper's lodge. As the key turns, magic begins to spiral around the doorway as a portal opens to the bunker's storeroom. Stepping through, they enter a large room filled with useful items, including Juna's herbs and Orin's healer's kit that were taken from them back at the start of their shared adventure. Dahlia gives our party a description of the bunker's layout, before suggesting she could go ahead and try to convince the Vondells to help the party. Making her way cautiously to the door, she steps through, and as she closes it behind her, immediately breaks into a run. Enkidu and Gwendolyn give chase, catching up with her before she gets too far, while Orin and Juna break the golden rule of Dungeons and Dragons, splitting the party and heading through the other door and into a corridor leading to a wide open field, where they see sat astride his stallion Thad the figure of Trimped, who instantly locks eyes with them, set to charge. Episode 14, Against Time. 
With the effect of Gaius's suggestion wearing off, Dahlia begins to run from the underground storage room, and Kido and Gwendolyn swiftly use their talents to pin her to the ground and muffle her screams, while Juna runs in the opposite direction in the hope of securing a plan B, followed by Orin, leaving behind a mildly panicked Gaius who seems unsure of which way to go. While Enkidu and Gwen hide the tied-up Dahlia behind some barrels in the brewery, through the other door, Juna finds Trimpt riding Thaddeus around what appears to be an open field next to a sitting room, quickly charming the older Vondel's son. Hot on Juna's heels, Orin sees Jasana and Oskin hastily leave the sitting room, setting off an alarm stone as they go. With the compliant Trimpt ready and willing to lead the way to the divination table, Orin runs back to get the panicked Gaius from the storeroom and the bickering pair from the brewery. Tripped begins to guide the reunited party to his mother's arcane study, when Atrella suddenly jumps from the library, launching a surprise attack on Gwen. Unable to put a stop to Atrella's flailing attacks with force, Guy instead works his musical magic and sends her into an arcane slumber. However, there's no rest, arcane or otherwise, for our heroes as they turn to see Dahlia and Matrim pursuing them, weapons in hand. Following Trimpt, they run into another inside-outside space, this time a garden complete with plants, a fountain and a door leading to Lady Vondel's study at the far end. However, Captain Solon and Mertz Krollen block their way and the fight to reach the table begins. Juna seizes the chance to pay Mertz back for knocking her out in the cave, and Orin activates his dragon contraption once again, this time with a flamethrower head attachment that deals a hefty amount of damage. While Gaius and Stolin attempt fairly ineffectually to strike each other, Gwen throws a dart to ward off Matrim before trying to make her way to the study. Matrim slices across Enkidu's chest with his sword, and the warlock returns the favour. The charmed Trimpt, unsure of what to do amidst the chaos, goes to speak to his mother in the study, and is followed by Juna, who attempts unsuccessfully to charm Lady Vondel, instead asking her to see reason and allow the party to destroy the divination table, which is stood on the plinth behind her. Before Lady Vondel can answer, Gaius makes a dramatic entrance, throwing Juna to the ground and sending a thunder wave at the two Vondels before him. Sliding under the table, he attempts to stand up and flip it, unfortunately only succeeding in giving himself a mild concussion. Back in the garden, Stolin tries to stop Gwendolyn getting to the study, slicing at her leg with his sword. Orin fires a warning blast of flame at Mertz and Stolin from his mechanical dragon, but it does more than warn Mertz as she crumples to the ground in flames, very much dead. Despite being singed, Stolin continues his attack on Gwen, cutting across her stomach. Seeing red, the furious monk thrusts her sword through his chest, turning pale the moment she realises what she has done. Meanwhile, Enkidu makes short work of ending the lives of Matrim and a distraught Dahlia. You made your choices. You know what led you here. These are the consequences. Orin hastily heads into the study, making a beeline for the table. Before Lady Vondel stops him in his tracks, turning the ring on her finger and telling the artificer, I suggest you help me defend this table. Unable to resist the power of the charm, Orin turns his gloves of shocking grasp on the dizzy bard under the divination table. Get off the table! No longer charmed, an angry trimp slashes at Juna in revenge for messing with his mind, and the elderly sorcerer retorts with a word of radiance. I <laughs> thought you were my friend! Before catching Lady Vondel with the electrical grasp of her witch bolt. A tightly wound Gwendolyn finally manages to join the fray in the study with a swift punch to Trimpt's face. Seeing her son under attack, Lady Vondel screams, sending a spike of psychic energy into Gwen's mind that knocks her to the floor. For a moment, it seems Gwen will be able to bounce back, but Trimpt quickly seizes the opportunity to sink his sword into her chest and Gwen falls limply to the ground, bleeding out. 
With hope fading, Gaius pulls the mysterious longsword from his back for the first time and summoning all his might from under the table, forces it up, succeeding in slightly denting the table. As Juna's witch bolt breaks Lady Vondel's concentration and hold on Orin, the aggrieved artificer turns his flame-throwing dragon on Lady Vondel. Trimp lets out a primal scream as he sees his mother's charred body crumple to the ground. Orin throws a vial of explosives that detonate with a thunderous wave beneath the table, flipping it across the room. The cracking table begins emitting silvery lines of shining arcane light. Rushing into the study, Enkidu sees Gwen bleeding out with Trimpt standing over her body. The furious warlock attacks Trimpt, who runs to the broken table, desperately attempting to work the arcane mechanisms while Juna moves close to Gwendolyn and brings her back from the brink of death. Gaius sprints to the table and casts another thunder wave, sending it flipping into Trimpt, who slumps to the floor. As the study fills with an explosion of silver-white light, the party all go blind. In the darkness, they see moments from their pasts. No, not their pasts, but each other's. As their sight returns, they find the room pulsing with arcane power, the table completely destroyed, and are horrifying to find the source of the pulsing is Kral, who now stands in front of them, throwing them through an endless jumble of timelines and possibilities. As Kral fixes the body of Trimpt, our party find themselves battling not only the undead Vondel, but also shifting realities. There are moments where they appear to be grievously injured, moments where they forget ever having met some of the party, and moments where they see the bodies of their companions dead on the floor. Each of the five manage to inflict some damage on the mage, with Gwendolyn finally bringing Prowl's story to an end with a crushing boot to the face. Your fixing <laughs> days are over. As he begins to crumble to cloth and bone, Prowl utters his last words. Maybe next time then. Episode 15, Deciding the Truth. With the battle over, our heroes catch their breath, staring at the dust and bones of Kralavin Savelt. Juna snaps up a finger bone to hang about her person, then heads to the charred corpse of Lady Vondel, pilfering a ring of suggestion which she gives to Gaius and pocketing a wand for herself. Gwendolyn bids adieu to Trimpt, closing his unblinking eyes. I didn't want to marry you, but um, I'm sorry this happened to you. Enkidu heads out into the garden and collects the rest of the bodies, carrying them into the arcane study to join the others. Then, turning to the party, he asks them to leave the study, and though they are unsure of his intentions, his friends oblige. Juna, however, pauses outside the door to listen in. As Gaius heads to the underground surgery to gather health potions and other medical items, Enkidu once again calls upon his patrons, this time answered by a dark chuckle and a hostile voice. <laughs> yeah, and you think I'm bad? Only did what was needed. Oh yeah, we all only ever do what's needed. Yeah, you're an expert, aren't you? There's gonna be a time, it's gonna catch up to you, and I'll be waiting. After a brief discussion with this internal enemy about the role and responsibility of the powerful, Enkidu starts ripping the books from their shelves, pulls out his tinderbox, and sets fire to the arcane study. At the sight of smoke pouring from under the door, Juna rushes in to save Enkidu, as Orin frantically attempts to salvage the books and their magical knowledge, but to no avail. With a new time limit set by the ever-growing flames, the party begins salvaging all they can from the bunker. Gwendolyn and Juna carry the unconscious Atrella out of the dragon statue entrance, then, using Gwen's thieves tools, manage to break into what appears to be a security office with a complicated mirror-based fantasy CCTV system. In one of three cells at the back of the room they finally encounter and free a grateful Dr. Hograd. 
who, after learning the fate of the witch Ruana Witten, the lack of any gallows cough medicine, and finally hearing that the Vondels have been defeated, rushes towards the surgery to gather as many medical supplies as she can. Meanwhile, Gaius and Enkidu find a saucepan-wielding Jizana and the young Oscan Vondel cowering in the kitchen. They seem defiant when Enkidu bluntly orders them to leave, but after a few persuasive words from Guy, they begin to see the reality of their situation and agree to exit the folly. While this is happening, Orin runs to the library. The room is glorious and full of potential knowledge, but he soon confirms that the arcane books are most likely burning in the other room. He snaps up a couple of history books and notices a familiar book resting in one of the reading nooks, the book Oskin had been reading, written by Kralavin Savelt. Stuffing the books in his bag, the artificer heads off to meet the others. As they begin to make their exit from the folly, Gaius suggests checking the brewery for Matrim shrinking oil, which captures Orin's imagination. The two of them race to the nearest keyhole and use their magical key to transport themselves back to the portal in the storeroom, where Orin spots a set of vials on one of the shelving units, finding three doses of each oil, marked Reduce and Enlarge. Quickly running through to the brewery, the artificer uncorks a vial and splashes the contents over the brewery equipment, shrinking them down until they can easily fit the entire brewery in their pockets. The smoke growing thicker and darker, the pair race back to the doorframe portal. Gaia steps through, leaving Orin in the storeroom. In a flash of ingenuity, the artificer risks everything, closing the portal and sprinkling the shrinking oil around the doorframe and adding a miniature portal to his inventory. Head down, he sprints through the smog to the exit, finally allowing a grin to spread across his face. Breathing the fresh air once more, the adventurers assemble outside the folly and take in the aftermath of the town's battle with the undead. They are delighted to find Bessie still alive, along with many of the townsfolk, having been protected by the consecrated grounds of the shrouded chapel where the dead cannot enter. Tillisham, however, is littered with the bodies of people and animals alike, with some survivors emerging injured from the guardhouse and other makeshift strongholds. The group spend the last hours of the night helping wherever they can. The town has been ravaged, but its people seem grateful for the aid of their heroes. As the sun begins to rise, Iris manages to convince them to rest. Exhausted, they head back to the knocking point. In the late afternoon, Iris wakes the party with the news that officials are waiting to debrief them downstairs. They are arcanists of the Consortium, advisors to the monarchy of Dravain, and their rapid arrival in Tillisham is a very big deal. Heading below, we meet an austere elderly human named Zeravir Tarek and a scholarly half-orc named Heron Ilwin, who gets straight to the point, casting a zone of truth on the party before beginning their questioning. While the magic takes hold on Enkidu and Orin, the Arcanist appears aware that the other three succeeded in repelling the charm effect. An interrogation begins to discover the truth of recent events, and while the party dodge and weave around the details, it seems clear that the facts of the case are not particularly surprising to Arcanist Tarek, who brings up the idea of a phylactery as if it is common knowledge. It is also notable that she does not seem entirely put off by these shifty answers to her questions. If anything, she seems pleased. You're very good at, uh, at dodging the truth, a lot of you, which is useful in its own way. Next, she proposes an altering of the truth. Crow was never here, and the witch in the woods is the one responsible. Jizana and Oskin will go on trial for their part in the crime, and a new, more trustworthy noble family will take the Vondel's place in overseeing this truth. Eventually, the group agree to the terms, and the meeting comes to a close. However, on their way out of the knocking point, the half-orc scholar appears to them as an illusory duplicate to deliver a message. He asks them to meet him in Vernock Rise in eight days. Ilwyn also hints that a gnome may be involved, much to Juna's excitement. 
Before beginning their long journey to meet the scholar, our heroes set out on a few last-minute errands. Orin leading Iris to the barn and restoring the brewery to its original size. Juna asks her raven friends to send a tweet to Ruana, not entirely expecting a reply. Gwendolyn offers to trade her rose pendant in exchange for a map, but Drania Pine gives it over free of charge in return for all the help they have already given. Enkidu confides in Orin about the nature of his patrons in his head and his past work in the Dravanian Palace, appealing to his friend's arcane affinity and his future aid in ridding himself of the voices. Orin agrees, giving Enkidu this piece of advice. Word of advice, if you're uh, looking for arcane knowledge, try not to burn any more books here. Gwendolyn returns to the group having paid Jenny a visit, brandishing a pair of boots for Orin, trading in her fancy boots for two practical sets. It turns out Jenny is useful for something after all. With their errands and quests completed and the promise of adventure waiting before them, our heroes head northwards as the sun sets on Tillishan. Thank you so much to our wonderful superfans, Hannity and Sam Oaks. Now, we'll be joining Hannah and Sam again in a few weeks for another No Small Recaps, but don't forget in the meantime you can check out Hannah and Sam chatting all things No Small Roles in the first episode of Superfan Chats. Make sure you're following us on social media to see our battle maps from some of the games and also find some intriguing lore drops about the world of El Timpir. We're at No Small Roles on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching for No Small Roles. And on for now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.